All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Shane White Show. Before we jump in today, our first sponsor is Routine. When we sleep, we lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water, mainly from expelling vapors and sweating. Each packet of morning routine comes with half an organic lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and most importantly, no sugar. I have one of these every morning. It's the first thing I do when I get up. I just take one of these little single-serve packs, tear them open, throw them into 20 ounces of water, shake it up, and I'm good to go. It rehydrates me, gets my metabolism going right away. I love them. Morning routine. Buy routine. Trusted ingredients. Made convenient. Uh, you can get yours at yourroutine.com, and, and if you use code SHANEWHITE30 at checkout, you'll receive 30% off your first order. So go check those guys out. Our next sponsor for today's episode is Elite Sweets. Elite Sweets is redefining the way we think about sweets with their Elite Donuts. The Elite Donut is a better-for-you donut that is packed with 13 grams of protein. They're gluten-free, keto-friendly, and contain only one gram of sugar. These are also a mainstay in my house. Um, The Elite Sweets donuts are incredible. They taste like real donuts. They look like real donuts. They're just not full of all the garbage that a regular donut would. And they're also great when you're looking for just something without all the sugar and the carbs and something with high protein when you're looking to have some sort of sweet. They're delicious. You can get yours today at EliteDonut.com or on Amazon. And if you use code ShaneWhite30, you'll receive 30% off every order. Um, And that is actually available on both EliteDonut.com and Amazon. So the code ShaneWhite30 works for 30% off on both websites. All right. Today's episode is with Jim Simon. Jim is the founder of Jimmy. Jimmy Functional Snacks, most well-known for the Jimmy Bar, which is a protein bar with functional ingredients. They also have other products they're bringing to market, such as their dessert cups, which is basically like a keto dessert cup pudding type of um, product. That is amazing. It's something I have almost every single night now with a little bit of peanut butter. I just mix the peanut butter in with this uh, the, the chocolate dessert cup or pudding. It's keto-friendly. They're delicious. Um, Jim's a great guy, just a really smart guy who's done a lot of different things in a few different industries, and it was a great conversation. So without further ado, give it up for Jim Simon. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode here of the Shane White Show. Jim, welcome to the show. We have Jim Simon here today, the founder of Jimmy Bar. What's going on, man? Thank you for having me. I like the Shane White Show. It, it kind of bounces off your, your tongue a little bit. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, we. Uh, I just I rebranded it recently at the beginning of the year. I've been thinking about doing it. It started off, it was simply finance with Shane White, and it was very... Uh, it was very like personal finance and investment heavy. And then it just slowly but surely became more of a, a CPG podcast. And then obviously everything Kyle and I are doing, it made a sense to, you know, I just, it made more sense to rebrand it. So I appreciate that. You know, in boxing, um, the uh, several fighters over the years have added a word sugar to their nickname. Okay. Sugar, sugar Shane Mosley. So you want, might want to be sugar Shane white. 
Oh, that would be that kind of rings a little bell too. Sugar Shane White. <laughs> I kind of like that. That's funny. I had no, I never thought of that. Love it. That's really funny. Well, yeah, thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy. For everyone listening uh, that doesn't know what Jimmy Bar is, would you mind giving everyone just an intro into the brand and, and obviously your business? So, sure. Uh, Jimmy Bar is uh, a leader in functional snacks. And what, what I mean by that is we make protein bars and keto bars and uh, keto dessert cups and pudding and coming out with a, a several new lines of product that focus on not just great taste, but functionality, meaning keto is obviously for weight loss and energy. We've got a bar with collagen for hair, skin, nails. We have a, a, a bar with uh, turmeric and plant-based caffeine for energy and recovery. Like every single you know product we make has some purpose, not just tasting great. It's just a value add that it does something also. Yeah. No, I love that. I know. I felt like you guys were one of, and correct me if I'm wrong. I felt like you were one of the first ones in the space to really go after like functionality. Like now you see some people trying to do it, but you guys really, I feel like we're like the leaders in that early on. Yeah, we, we, we were in and it, it was sort of epiphany that I had. I don't know if I've told you this story before, but I was, uh, we had a booth at one of the big fitness shows it was in LA and it was right when we came up, we pivoted from a date-based bar to a high-protein, low-sugar. It's one like Quest Bar was blowing up. And so we said, okay, well, let's make something, but it's you know different. It's crunchy, sure. blah, blah, blah. So, um, and so uh, you know, I was talking to this really buff dude and his girlfriend, and he said, you know, when do I eat this? Is this pre-workout? Is this post-workout? Is this recovery? Like, when do I eat that? I didn't have a good answer. I'm just like, well, I eat it now. Just get out of Yeah, whatever um, you want. And then I realized, like, that's not the most eloquent re- response, you know. And then from there, um, I was thinking, people eat for folk for for purpose. Like, I dated a girl when I was in my twenties, you know, and she was a bodybuilder, and she used to tell me, "Eat for function, not for flavor." You know, it's like hmm. people don't say that anymore, but yeah, you know, flavor too. But eat for function, not for flavor. And so people want that function, and and it's no different than. You know, you taking a CBD if you got to sleep or, you know, someone taking, uh, you know, we all drink coffee, which is the ultimate functional food and beverage, right? We drink coffee to wake up. Um, You might drink a glass of wine, you know, at night to wind down. Um, You know, you're drinking, uh, you're eating your protein drinks, you know, uh, after workout, whatever it is, caffeine, whatever it is, you're eating for purpose more now than ever, as opposed to people just grabbing for their, you know, bologna sandwiches or grilled cheese sandwiches to feed hunger. Um, you know, food is medicine. And so we want it to be sort of on the right side of history when it comes to functionality. And from there, um, we've launched, you know, our, our, our pudding, uh, uh, you know, keto desserts, which are first to market, which solve a couple problems. But the biggest one is, is that when you're on the keto diet or just trying to lose weight or just forget about keto, you're just trying to eat a low sugar diet. Mm-hmm. There's not much out there when it comes to desserts that tastes good. Right. So yeah. we think we solved that one there. So that's, yeah, we have been the first in that. Love it. Yeah. The bars, you guys span a wide swath of benefits too, which I, th- I think is really interesting. Um, do you mind just kind of diving into just even high level, what some of those are and why you guys landed on the types of functionality you did? Yeah. So if you look at um, T. Tea has sort of been ahead of the curve. Actually, beverages have been ahead of the curve. So there's a couple of teas that they'll say, you know, there's actually tea, you know, for constipation called um, Smooth Move. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> nice. I've seen that. Yeah. There's, there's this, 
you know, a sleepy tea. There's a calm tea, the blah, blah, blah. And I remember being in Whole Foods, I'm looking at that, I'm like, there should be food like this. And so right now we've got an Eye of the Tiger bar, which was a licensing deal I did with um, the songwriter who wrote Eye of the Tiger you know, for all the Rocky movies. He's a buddy from Chicago. And so that's a licensing deal. And that has turmeric and plant-based caffeine because um, he's a workout guy. He's 70, but he's in terrific shape. So that's your workout bar. Then we've got another bar called Wake and Focus, and that has MC2L and Omega-3s um, that some you know, field uh, promotes brain health as well as guarana caffeine, which obviously kind of makes you uh, alive and energetic. And the funny story about that one is I, I said, uh, like I was talking to a couple of college kids in terms of our office and you know, all, all the kids are on Adderall, which is not particularly good for you. Right. I'm like, there needs to be like a healthy alternative. Like, you know, you're popping these pills so you, you can study. It's not like the healthiest shit in the world. Like, you should do something healthy. And so we're like, we should create an Adderall bar. What's good for you? Yeah. And I named it Making Focus. And two of our interns, because our, our company's always been sort of funny and cheeky. They're like, Jim, that's really boring. No one will, the kids won't get it. And um, they said, you know, we'll come up with a better name. I said, all right, I'm going to walk my dog around the block, which took 20 minutes. And you guys come up with a name and so i came back and on the whiteboard it said woke af i'm like what is it? what's woke what does that mean <laughs> and they're like you don't know what woke like no no i'm too old they're like what does woke mean like, it means in, you know blah, blah blah and i'm like what's that and they're like tell me what af stands for and uh I'm like, i like it that's a that's a very cool name i don't know if anybody over like 30 will get it but i don't care so i love it we went to market with woke af and it'll probably get sued because someone else had the name, so we changed it back to Wicked Focus. Oh, I was gonna say, yeah, I, was, I never saw, I never saw that version of it. That's hilarious. I gotta see after this. I will have to see some old uh, uh, images or product shots. I'd love to see that. That's awesome. We were strongly encouraged by the other company's lawyers to not use it, but you know, we also created a beauty bar with collagen because you know a lot of people are taking collagen for hair, skin, and nails. Um, a whole line of keto for weight loss. What am I forgetting? Um, that's about it. But, you know, it spans and we flirted with a happy bar. We flirted with a mood bar. We flirted with CBD, you know, putting CBDs in bars. We haven't done it yet. But what we wanted to do was expand outside of bars. So not just be another bar company, but a functional snack company. And everything we come out with in the future will be non-bar um, because people are eating all kinds of snacks. Love it. No, yeah. You guys do have a great swath. And obviously, we'll, we'll add links to this for everyone to check it out. Um, so Jimmy bar is, is that's your, that's your main thing that you're focused on right now. And you're building a big business in a lot of different ways there before we get like really into the rabbit hole of Jimmy bar though, would love to even take a step back and learn a little bit more about you before Jimmy bar. I know Jimmy wasn't your first endeavor you ever did. What, what, what were you doing from a business perspective before you decided to start a bar brand? Well, before I started Jimmy bar, I was happy and I had money and, um, that changed. That changed dramatically when I started Extreme Package Good Company. Lost all my money and I'm no longer happy. Now, um, uh, serial entrepreneur, pretty much like your your typical entrepreneurial story. Started my first company at 25, I got acquired at 28, um, all on the West Coast, and then have lived all over the country. And my mom actually counted, I think I've lived in 32 places or 32 different dwellings in, in the past 30 years. So, wow. Naturally restless. Um, yeah, really, you know, in, in, but always start different companies, some wins, some losses, um, but I spanned across, um, 
paper and packaging was my first. And then I got involved. I ran a couple of internet companies um, uh, in New York. Um, and then um, I went to real estate. Uh, I actually had an idea for a B2B real estate site for investment properties. But because uh, I was running a company prior to that, that focused on um, college housing. And after, you know, after doing many deals with people and companies that own college housing, I'm like, what a clever what a clever way to invest. If you're buying like four unit buildings or 20 unit buildings, colleges, colleges don't go out of business. They're usually cheaper. They're usually smaller than buying in New York City or San Francisco. So I'm like, I want to start a site strictly for people who are buying housing to allow the, the sellers to sell directly to the buyers and leave out the brokers in the middle. Um, oh. What happened was I created the platform and then I started buying college housing and, and I liked it so much. I just kept doing it. And so oh, really? So you just of, ditched yeah, the platform and just did it yourself? I ditched the platform because it was you know, 2003 to 2010, when I was doing it, it was an awesome time for real estate until the world crash. But, um, you know, I was providing Syracuse and, and then in a couple other communities around Syracuse, New York, and it was a great business. Um, from there, went back to technology um, and was SVP of business development, which is doing deals um, for a couple of internet companies and then came back and said, okay, I'm ready to start my company. So everything has been kind of an answer to your previous gig, you know, like, like you, you know, you work yeah. for a big company and they're like, okay, I want to start a small company. Yeah. So for me, it was the same, same thing. Like, you know, I worked for a paper company in Chicago, first job out of college. And then, you know, like any 25 year old who doesn't know is dead from death. I'm like, I can do it better. So I started sure. my paper company in San Francisco, got acquired, you know, worked for the company, they acquired me, then they bought me out of it again and they said, hey, move on. And then I'm like, okay. Papers kind of boring. I'm going to work in this internet thing in 1999. So I moved to New York and did that. So everything's sort of an answer, you know, to what you did previously. Got it. No, that makes a ton of sense. And if, if you just always been that kind of person, like I think it's really interesting to hear serial entrepreneurs. Did you like from, you know, the get think that you wanted to just start your own businesses? You never thought you'd probably work for a big company for very long? I remember my senior year in college, I went to Columbia College in Chicago and I was taking a film class. And I was reading um, uh, basically a documentary about Martin Scorsese, the director. He mm-hmm. did Goodfellas. Um, oh, yeah. I was looking at his career and, I'm, and it was, you know, Taxi Driver, you know, 1976 or whatever. And then he did another movie. Then he did another movie. Some flops in there, a lot of hits. You know, he'll have like a, uh, a mafia movie. Then he'll have a romantic movie. Then I'll, and I'm like, that's what I want my career to be like. I, w- I don't want to work for a company for 30 years. I'm not suited for it. It would bore me. You know, I want to do, I want to be in multiple industries. I don't want to work in one, one industry because I, I'm sort of naturally restless and curious. So I just thought I'd love to do two year stints, two year stints, two year stints. And that's how it was for a while. This is Jimmy Barr's, I'm, I'm in year eight, but you know, after Jimmy Barr, I'll most likely go back to tech. Um, so yeah, it was planned. Wow. You know, and I think it's really interesting because you hit it on the head. You've bounced across industries that normally I would argue people don't do very often, right? Like tech, real estate, CPG. You just don't hear that a lot, which I thought was really interesting. And I'd be curious to know, I guess two, I have two, two parts of my question. The first one, what made you, what made CPG attractive for you to go from where you were to that? And then when you were evaluating CPG, um, I guess like 
yeah, I'm just curious to know like the the jump, like what what research or what knowledge did you know that was like, oh, I want to I want to give this one a shot next. I think lack of intelligence plays into it. I think it, you know going into CPG without knowing what you're doing is not the smartest thing to do. But it was again going back. It was meeting and you know I used to go when you're in software. Or I was you know in uh, worked for a big data management platform doing business development, and so you're kind of selling air. You can't touch your mm-hmm. product right and you know we were the company i was working with was doing really cool stuff they were you know um, crunching billions of nodes of data cookie data about you know what users are doing and and then would try to help verizon wireless or whoever you know target their ads um and, and that's really cool uh but you can't touch it you can't look at it you can't you know everything is sort of you know in space and i'm like i want my next gig a I, i'm gonna go back and run my own company and b uh, you know, I was like 48 or whatever when I started the company, 47. I'm like, I want to do something that's good for the world. I'm sort of, you know, in kind of the third period out of four periods of my career. I'm like, I've, 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 I've been, you know, fortunate and, and, and had some luck, but I'm like, I want to do something that's good for the world. You know, first, I want to do something. I was, I was getting very geeky on healthy food and also the evils of food and in the meat industry of, you know, the horrific stuff that goes on with the animals. I'm like, I want to sort of, do something good for the world, right? And so I pitched my sister, who uh, is a restaurateur and a chef, like, let's do a food company. And she's like, yeah, you know, because she was sort of getting burned down on restaurants. It's a hard biz. She's a great chef. And so we were just said, let's do something healthy. And she being a chef, you know, her version of healthy and mine are very different. Like her, okay. version, her version of healthy, it's like less brown sugar. You know, chefs, <laughs> they're not function and flavor. They're all about flavor, you know? Right. So, oh, yeah. I had no plan of being in bars. My first idea was healthy ice cream. So I'm a, I'm a healthy, I'm a, I'm a ice cream addict. Okay. So we're, messing that, we're messing around with other stuff. And it just happened. Um, it decided on bars only because, you know, going back to 2014 or whatever bars were. I mean, if you think about the offering on the market, it was awful. Yeah. You know, there, there are some pretty good, you know, tasting bars now, but at the time it was terrible. And so you'd eat this bar that's, you know, it's all marketing, you know, it's just BS. I mean, it's like, you know, you're all, it's, it's crap. And, you know, just like all the, the sports beverages are all crap. Um, and so I'm eating this and I'm like, God, this is awful. Well, you know, why don't we take a crack at bars? We go down in our basement, like, you know, a Friday night after we've had a little wine and we just start throwing in dates, throwing in this, right? Not knowing anything, what we're doing, but wow, part of the fun, part of the fun for me personally is learning a new industry. You know, you sort of learn the players in the new industry. You're teaching yourself as you go along. You know, it's definitely not the easiest way to build your career, you know, industry hopping. But I remember Richard Branson, you know, who's a billionaire talking about it because he has tackled some of the hardest industries. There is a Coke, you know, Coca-Cola, you know, you had Virgin Cola. Airlines may be the hardest industry on the planet. He tackled that with Virgin Airlines. When he had a very successful record business, you know, Virgin Records, he kept trying other things and he drove his board of directors absolutely bonkers because he kept throwing money at these new ideas in the hardest industries in the world. I mean, can you imagine going against Pepsi and Coke? Right. Oh, yeah. It's not easy. And he still does that because he's like, I just love the challenge and I love attacking something that people think I can't attack, you know. And so from that point of view, it's kind of what I did with this is that I'm like, there's so much nonsense in food it's all marketing it's still all marketing that hasn't changed 
Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I, you know, I was thinking uh, Richard Branson, he's, he's probably one I should spend more time learning about because you're right. He has just, he's tried so many different things. I would also argue though, some of the being naive, I feel like goes a long way. Like I think sometimes if you're in an industry for too long, you get in your ways. I mean, even the conversation we had earlier about retailers, like that's what my perception is from my past at our X bar. But yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe that'll all change in a year or two. And, and, you know, my knowledge won't be cutting edge anymore. I don't know. Um, when it comes to like Costco or whatever. Well, we'll think about it this way. Um, look at the automobile industry. This is a, a great example for, you know, the internal combustion engine has been outmoded for a hundred years. There's been, there's been electric cars, right? They, constantly get scrapped because general motors didn't want to do it because you know there's some tie-ins with the oil industry uh-huh, right there's a lot of corruption going on what happened it took a tech guy Elon musk who created tesla who said who looked at detroit and i remember hearing an interview he's like these guys are old they're slow they don't innovate you know the the gas engine is nonsense they're tied in with big oil and the politicians backing big oil 100 percent you know, and he's like, I'm going to create this electric car. Everyone thought he was nuts, you know, but he had the background being from PayPal. He was a tech guy, still is. And so he did it. And so when you come into an industry with fresh eyes, um, yeah, you come in there just like, you know, I mean, I remember the first pitch I ever made was with Jewel, which is, you know, the Chicago home oh, yeah. grocery chain. And they're like, it's $20,000 in slotting. And I'm like, what's slotting? What's, what's slotting? Goes, well, you pay us to, and then we need marketing support. And, oh, and then you have to go get signed up with this distributor. And then you need a broker. And I'm like, this industry is just, just crazy. You can't, yeah. you can't, you know. And so from there, we took a very different distribution path. And that is, um, we went straight into corporate pantries, which is Facebook, Google, you know, Oracle, Intel, all those guys selling direct, essentially just selling direct, you know, B2C yeah. selling direct. Um, I loved it. I mean, you can get built a nice business out of that. You're not going to build a $20 million business that way, but we had a nice little base. Um, I was just going direct. I wasn't even going through distributors. That industry has changed quite a bit. There are a lot of middlemen now who have their hands out, but yeah, you're right. I mean, coming, like if you wanted to go into whatever, you know, tech or, you know, some different industry, you're going to come in with fresh eyes and fresh ideas. Yeah. A hundred percent. And for you, going from the industries you were in and then jumping into Jimmy bar. I mean, one of the things I I would love to know too, is you being in the kitchen with your sister messing around, trying to figure out recipes, throwing different things in for ingredients. How did you guys go from that to then, you know, actually setting up a business? I always think on this podcast, we always try to go to that zero to one. For me, I hear a lot of stories that a lot of people do that first part, right? Where they have an idea, maybe they're messing around the kitchen for a week. But like actually taking that and trying to sell it and then commercialize it is a whole nother, it's a leap that most people never make. And you've done it a few times. So what was it like for you with Jimmy Bar going from the kitchen to actually launching a product? You know, part of it was, you know, it was just a side hustle. I had a job, you know, I had money in the bank. Everything was good. Um, I was a little restless, but I just wanted to do something on the side. I didn't think it was going to happen. You know, I didn't think the company would be this successful. It was just a side hustle. And um, I did want to do something in food. I've wanted to do something in food for a while. Um, it was, I remember, you know, using the clear stickers and slapping the stickers. I used to pay my nieces who are like nine, 10 years old, like, all right, here's, you know, a bucket sticker, put them on the stickers. It was just fun. You know, it was yeah. just a fun hustle. 
but I've, but again, you know, I've done it. I've started six or started or ran six companies. So I know how to do it, you know, and it's just a matter of selling, you know, I mean, it's just go sell. Mm -hmm. So not, you know, it's, it's like, who is it? Edison or Einstein? I always forget this said, you know, 90% of success is perspiration, not inspiration. Just got to do it. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. I know uh, if you've ever listened to it, Peter Rahal was on um, How I Built This, and he tells a funny story. His his dad did the same thing where he came, he, I think he, he, they had sold like maybe a hundred bars. They had, you know, obviously like very little market tra- attraction at that point. Okay. And he, he asked his dad for some money. He goes, you know, would you be willing to loan me some money to start RX Bar? And his dad said, shut the fuck up go sell a thousand bars and come back to me. <laughs> I'm like, it's really good advice, right? It's like, just go sell it, go prove it out. That's how you start anything, right? You're, Cause like any of the systems, any of the processes, they're all going to be garbage at first. It's true. And I tell my niece, to, you know, she's like 24. She wants to change industries right now. I'm like, just go do it. You know, don't worry about your resume. You know, you're 24. This yeah. is when you take your chances. But you know, for any, I always tell, you know, aspiring food entrepreneurs, go raise money, like start selling. So you have some revenue. So you have something to talk about, but go raise money in other industries. I mean, you don't have to raise a lot of money. When you started this business, you didn't have to raise a lot of money. Did you? No. Yeah. No, we, we've bootstrapped it from the beginning. Yeah. You bootstrap it. So there's a lot to be said to just go hustle, hustle, hustle. Yeah. You watch, you know, Cuban, Mark Cuban's always talking about, like, I remember uh, this uh, woman on Shark Tank had, um, uh, it was cakes for dogs. You know, it's like, I forget what it was called. It was kind of Interesting. Like, they, I know they have those out here in the suburbs now. My wife loves every year for our dog's oh, birthday. She gets I, one. <laughs> my wife got like $50 on my dog's, you know, birthday cake. Yeah. yeah. But she wasn't, the, the girl was really smart. She wasn't a salesperson. And so Cuban <laughs> said something so harsh, but so true. And he's like, if you can't get behind your fear sales, like, you know, standing in front of someone when you know there's a 99% chance of rejection, it's hard. You know, it's sure. hard and yeah. you can't get past this. I can't bet on you. And so, you know, I would say to anybody, if you're thinking about starting a business, do it on the side at first, but go sell. I love that advice. Um, it's funny. Cause you mentioned Kyle and I, it's, it's true. Like you, I think for a lot of people, people think you got to like jump and it's like, boom, you're making money or it's successful. I almost think there's something to that, like treating any idea, like a side hustle, like just fall in love with the process of it, right? Like, yeah. don't worry about, maybe don't even worry about the money right away. It's like, try to just build, have quality, whatever it is, whether it's a, it's a product, a service, like make something really good and then just get really passionate about making it better and, and then build it from there. Um, it sounds like it's kind of what you did. You kind of like, it wasn't like you needed to sell Jimmy bars to pay your mortgage type of thing. No, I didn't. And then when I started Jimmy bars then I couldn't pay my mortgage. So <laughs> the opposite problem. But what? Do it as, start as a side hustle and think about it, but also think about what your true day-to-day is going to be. You know what yeah. I mean? So for me, my true day-to-day selling, I've been doing that for 30 years. So it's like perfect. And it doesn't matter if I'm selling paper, real estate, you know, data, whatever. It's just the same shit, right? Sure. So that's fine. You know, if you're sitting alone in a room, you know, working alone, if that's cool with you, great, go do it. But then also you think about, I remember I was looking at, you know, when I was doing real estate, buying a hotel, and I was in Brooklyn, and I'm like, what's the day-to-day really going to be? And I'm going I'm to be dealing with complaining people who didn't get their pancakes. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. People bitching at me, you know, 
I mean, it, so I didn't do it. Um, but yeah, you got to think of your day to day. What's your true day to day going to be? Because when you strip the layers away, being an entrepreneur, as you know, it's hard. It's yeah. Cool. And it's, it's a little, it can be lonely at times. Like even if you're working with customers or you have a small team, like at the end of the day, it's like, you gotta, it's like just you, you are maybe a partner or whatever, but like, it's, it's, it's not as uh, I don't know, working for a big company. The one thing you usually have there is you have like a team that you're just constantly in communication with. You're sitting with people. It's just, it's different. It's just a different dynamic. It is different. It is lonely. Lonely is a, a word that you can, I mean, it, it's very lonely being an entrepreneur. Um, and also you have the way of the show, you know, weight of the world on your shoulders, because, you know, when you're trying to build this kind of company, which is that, you, you know, you have to buy product, you have to stick it on your floor. Um, you got to have money, you know, it, right. it comes down to money. It's like the thing that wakes me up at night is never my product. Like I know Jimmy Bar's taste good. I know our puddings rock. I know the stuff we have in R and D is going to be amazing. It's do we have ample money in the bank and are customers paying us. Um, and that's something that you have to have kind of the right aptitude for, uh, you know, uh, you have, you can't, uh, have horrific anxiety, you know, and be worrying constantly. You have to sort of whistle through the graveyard a little bit. Um, and you know, as, um, Richard Branson said, fake it, you make it a little bit like another, like he, there's a great move, a great, um, book he wrote called losing my virginity, which I suggest to any entrepreneur. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to write that down right now while you talk. It's, it's, you'll read it in like three days. It's so good. But he was talking about, he's, he's very, very, very successful. And he, um, he owns Virgin Records. He's the toast of the town in London. He owns an island called Necker Island, still has, still has it in the Virgin Islands. And he's in big trouble financially. Like he's in big, big, big trouble. Barclays was his bank and they're about to shut him down. He gets a call. He's playing tennis with Peter Gabriel, the, the rock musician. Oh, wow. On his private island. And the bank calls him and says, you're done. You're done. You're, we're not, or you, you pay us off right now or you're done. And he had no money. Yeah, like he was, he was highly leveraged with his airline. And so Whoa. he said to Peter, he goes, you know, I don't know I've got to, you know, make a few calls, go play tennis with someone else. He was totally calm. <laughs> At least the way he tells it, he was totally calm. Sure. And that's kind of have to be that way. And that is, you know, you're betting on yourself. The only thing different between the person who starts a company that ends up being a smash success and a person that starts a company that doesn't go anywhere is that person, is the entrepreneur and the moves he or she makes and the alignments they make um, with investors. And do they, you know, like you and I talked about before, you know, if you were to start a food company, you'd go direct to consumer right now. I tend to, I totally agree with you. Yeah. You know, that's really smart. But the problem is you don't know that unless you've been in the industry for a while. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. No, it's really interesting that those are great points for anyone who's listening, who wants to start something. And I think, you know, it's funny while you were saying that one thing that I know has resonated with me in the last year is uh, at the end of the day, the other thing about being an entrepreneur is, is no one cares besides you. You know what I mean? Like you'll have friends and family who are definitely interested and want to hear about it and hope you do well. But at the end of the day, like every day you wake up and go to bed and like, truthfully, if it doesn't work, it's on you. And you're the only one that cares as much as, you know, no one's going to care more than you. I I think it's really interesting. No one's going to care more than you. No one will be able to sell, you know, like you can, you know, when you're, when you're personally pitching companies to work with, or I'm pitching, you know, retailers or whatever, no one cares like you do. Yeah. Um, they're not going to care if they're going to have passion 
you do. You try to find people that work for you that have that kind of passion and you'll find some great ones, but they're not going to have your passion because no one has their ass on a line like you do. You know, right. I mean, it's, you know, I've got, you know, huge financial responsibilities to, you know, millions of dollars of product on my floor right now, you know, you got to pay for it. So right. uh, there's a lot, a lot of responsibility. I remember uh, when I started my first company, it was a paper company in San Francisco and I, uh, I used my 401k money and my dad lent me money, but I had to write, write a $50,000 check, which was a lot of, Whoa. You know, was, yeah. So and I remember ha- having a glass of wine with my girlfriend at the time. And I'm like, I'm like, that's like, I could go bankrupt. She's like, you're not going to go bankrupt. Like if you were, if you're the, the kind of guy who's going to go back, you wouldn't have started the business because you, you have, you're betting on yourself when you're an entrepreneur. Right. No, that's, yeah, that's a good, it's a good point. That's a scary, uh, scary moment early on pulling out the 401k right away. It is. I, when I think about it now, I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> you know, but when you're younger, you know, you, you, you know, you're not worried about that kind of stuff. And you seem like, I know you do jujitsu and you're a healthy guy. I know it's funny in the fall, I turned 30 and I was telling my wife on my birthday, we were just talking about, you know, whatever. I feel like when you 30 is kind of a weird one where it's like, you do feel like you're kind of, you're out of your twenties. And I was just talking to her about it. I'm like, I just remember being all through my twenties, like making sure I like me being the finance guy, I was like making sure we're saving enough. I'm investing enough, all this stuff. But at the same time, I'm like, I should have risked more. I'm like, I'm 30 now looking back and I feel like a baby still. Like I, I you know, all of my twenties, I should have just been like taking total risk, throwing Hail Mary, seeing if one of them hit. Cause at the end of the day, if I get to my thirties and I, I'm not where necessarily I need to be like, you have so much time, it, hopefully. Right. Like, well, it's funny. Have, that's, that's great perspective. You're, you're a hundred percent right. You know, that you're 30, but you've got 40 or more years in your work life, maybe more. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're, you're in the, like the second inning, you know? Right. You, yeah. That's if you think about it, like baseball, yeah, you're, it's like, oh man, you have eight more innings to go after this. Why don't we just take some shots here? Swing for the fence. Or why didn't I buy crypto when it was, you know, a thousand dollars or why did I was actually just looking at Amazon. Um, and I own a little bit of Amazon, but I'm like, why didn't I buy, you know? A ton. I know I that I will say, that's funny. You say those two things. Those are the, probably the, the only two, those. Amazon, crypto, and Tesla are the three I've just, I've been bullish on for as long as I can remember. So luckily I've always just like, always put some away towards those crypto, crypto. I'm still super bullish on. Like I bought Ethereum was the first one. I think I bought it in 2014 and I've just sat on it. I've just never sold it. So that's good. I've got a couple of those, but I'm with you. Like it, in hindsight, it's always like, oh, I should just take bigger bets. Like I should have, I mean, it, you know, what, what's it, what is it? 20 or, um, Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So you're always going to well, think that. Are, but there are people who will make those big bets. Like you look at, and again, like any podcast about uh, you know this one, uh, how I built this. There's so many amazing books. Every entrepreneur should just absorb the knowledge of other entrepreneurs because I remember, uh, God, it was like two, t- 2017. I was getting married. I came married until I was fifty. I'm getting married. I'm in two or three lawsuits with Jimmy Bars. Um, you know, just one was just actually both of them were total nonsense. And, um, you know, and I'm running out of money. You know, the business is running out of money. And so, and I've got, I've, I've always uh, had a little bit of anxiety. So I've, I've, I've got to go running. I got to get outside. So I'm going for a run and a crow uh, dive bombs me. Like actually hits me on the head. Wait, um, oh, it actually like, like hit oh, you? 
yeah, it hit me on the head. I think I was running. I was running under a tree where it probably had a nest. Oh wow! I'm like the world is against me. You know, <laughs> but but you know what? If I was 25, I would have said, oh yeah, you know, chrome dive bomber. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny, right? Just all perspective. No, I mean that's. I mean that'd be scary though. That, that stuff always. That stuff always happens on days where there's a million other things going on too, right? I know. And that's why, you know, 60 year old people own the world uh, because they've made the mistakes of when they're 30, like you, or in the fifties, like me, you know, they've made the mistakes and they learn and they get better. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of the antithesis of being an athlete where you peak when you're 26 or 25, you know, business people, I think pick peak later on. There are sort of, you know, crazy instances when someone strikes it rich in their twenties, but most of the time, it's really, you know, when you're fifties or your sixties, where you, uh, you constantly get some wins some losses, you learn from your losses and then you end up in good shape. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I've, I've tried to learn a lot from entrepreneurs on this podcast and, and just in general from reading and pod, you know, listening to podcasts, having people on this podcast. One thing I've found very consistent is entrepreneurs that tend to do well. And I feel that I get this sense from you a lot is, is something around falling in love with the process, like just realizing whether it's a dollar value you're going after or an account you're trying to get, like those things will come and go and you'll win some and you'll lose some. But like, if you love the, what you said earlier, which is the day to day and the process, like that's, I think probably, I can only imagine 30 or 40 more years of being in this game, what that, that has to be kind of the key to it all. And it's also competitiveness, you know, how serious do you take it? You know, I don't know if I'd ever admit this to my wife, um, but you know, it's the most important thing in my life right now. So yeah. is that this, this business succeeds more important than my health, more important than my family. I mean, it's just because without it, you know, things will get bad. So it's just, it's the most important thing to me that this business succeeds all my friends and family who have invested in it. Cause we've never taken institutional money. It's all friends and family as well as my money. Like I got to win here. And so that's mm -hmm. the pressure, but it's good pressure. You know, pressure is a privilege. So it's good pressure to have. And then, you know, now that Jimmy Bars is in really good shape and it's rocking, you know, I can um, afford uh, like a little bit of time. You know what I mean? It's, you know, I used to have my laptop on my lap, working at two in the morning, you know, on LinkedIn. I've always been a huge LinkedIn guy, reaching out to retailers who's, the, you know, trying to find the buyer, prospect and prospect and prospect and prospect. Now, you know, I have people on my team who can help out a little bit with that. So yeah. I can pull back and I'm more elephant hunters <clears throat> going after, you know, Amazon and uh, just a few retailers that I really want to focus on. And then my sales team is working on the rest of them. But you get to a point um, when your company starts being successful where you can pull back a little bit on the minutia and focus on what you like. to. I like selling. So um, if I could just sell and never write another check or worry about payroll or inventory or packaging, which I probably hate the most, you know, like little, you know, disclaimers on yeah. stuff. I would be thrilled just to sell. Got it. Okay. No, that, that makes a ton of sense too. I mean, totally get that. And everyone's good at something else. And for you, this is the, the question that comes to my mind when I hear that is because I think sometimes just me as a person, whether it's with my business or anything, podcast, whatever. I, I've always struggled with um, giving work or control to other people. Like I'm just one of those people where I feel like I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to like spend the time to like get you up to speed. Like I can just do it myself, which I know is horrible when you're thinking about like when you want to like actually grow something, eventually you have to give, you got to give the reins to somebody else to kind of like do the minutiae. Totally common. 
How, how did you kind of get through a lot of that? Or how did you develop in that way? You know what, when you're an entrepreneur, you, you, you think about it. Like, if you are starting your own company, you really are betting on yourself. Like you have a partner, I have a partner, my sister, um, we have completely different skill sets. So when it comes to bringing in the money, sales, you got to really bet on yourself. You have to think you're really good at something. So you know exactly what you're good at. And if you're honest, you know exactly what you suck at. And one of the things that entrepreneurs are often suck at is delegating because they want to do everything. But you can't grow that. You can't scale. If you're yeah. not going to delegate, you can't scale. You have to bring in amazing people. Like I brought in my VP of sales, Chip. He knew everything about C-Stores. I didn't know anything about C-Stores. I didn't even know if C-Store was going to be a good category. It's a great category. It's probably, it's probably my favorite category because it caters to the hustler, the one who is going to get on a plane and go to Louisville or Bent, you know, Bentonville, like a lot of these smaller yeah. towns around the country and sell, 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 as opposed to just pitching, you know, one store, one buyer, so on. So you have to know what you're good at. You have to know what you suck at. I'm not great at finance. I hate managing. Um, so I just hire people to, to deal with that. And you, as you, your company grows, you'll have to start delegating because you can't scale. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And I can see how entrepreneurs in general, that could be a, a, a blind spot, right? Because you just, it's, it's kind of funny, right? When you think about it, because it kind of is the opposite of what we just said on how to go to zero, from zero to one. It really, because going from zero to one, it's almost the opposite where you, you kind of have to do everything. You kind of have to just like right. be real, real lean, real scrappy. And then at some point you kind of get to that one and now you got to go to two or 10. And so at that point, you got to figure out how to, how to optimize and delegate. Well, I've had so many conversations with my sister and that is my partner because we have completely different skill sets. She's a hundred percent product, um, not sales at all. Um, and so, you know, I was teaching her how to delegate, you know, because she runs the plant that we make the bars in. And a lot of times she'll be like, I'll just do it myself. I'll just do it. I'm like, you got, you can't do that. You know, she's 61 now. And her husband who runs the plant, he's like 61, 62. And I told him like, Filippo, you can't be lifting, you know, these hundred pound things of peanuts. Oh, wow. Yeah. The 25 year olds, you're going to kill yourself. You can't do it. I'm like, you can't be running shifts. You should be walking around with a clipboard, making sure everything's doing, everyone's doing what they should be. You can't be doing that anymore because you can't grow. You can't grow if you're the one who's always fixing everything. If you're the one who's always doing everything, you know, if you look at, you know, Uber or Google, they're all started by young guys or young women and they brought in teams when they could afford to, you know what I mean? To help yeah. them out. You can't, you can't do everything. You're just not going to grow the company that way. And you and I definitely are aligned and we like leaner organizations. Right. You could grow up in our business, you know, $50 million company with 10 people. You really can. Yeah. Um, you don't have to have a huge organization, um, but you have to find amazing people. Definitely. Amazing people. That's a good one. A good, a good takeaway from this. The, the two questions I know I definitely wanted to ask you and you just opened the door to one. So I'd love to hit on this one. I've had, I've had, I think almost a hundred founders on here now. So the number has gotten pretty high. Um, I, I think you're only the second one though, that produces your own product. Like you actually have a, a production facility, you make all your own product love to learn a little bit more about the why behind that, where the idea for doing that, why you didn't just go to a co-packer. Cause obviously most people that are in the CPG space just end up going with a co-packer. So we'd love just to learn even at a high level, how that all came to be. 
What, what percentage of the founders you've interviewed um, are in food? Probably 90%. Okay. So uh, it, it's a interesting and painful story. Okay. I didn't want, I didn't, I didn't want to manufacture. Kind of what you and I were just talking about. It's not my skill set. I'm not mechanical. Uh, I can screw in a light bulb. That's about it. My wife <laughs> makes fun of me. Pretty you much. and I are the same, Jim. <laughs> oh, my dad was actually worse. Um, so it just didn't, I see these machines running. I'm like, I don't want to do it. I just want to sell. Yeah. I want to right. That. And then it's just also for the first four years or first three years, I was self-financing. I was self-funding the company. Cause I didn't, I didn't know if we had anything, you know, it was, it was more, I started the company cause I was sort of frankly ready to do something else. Um, and I was also like for the first year actively, uh, working on two other business models, both in technology. Um, both that I want to do after Jimmy bars, uh, oh, cool. cool ideas, but you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I'm like, do I really want to buy equipment? Do we really, you know, I wasn't paying myself for the first three or four years, you know, do I want to buy a $50,000 machine? Do I, it's just said, I thought to myself, someone else makes it. I'll sell it easy peasy. It was my sister, Nettie, who's a restaurateur and a chef. Now she's been in food prep for 30 years. So making I mean, hell, they make, you know, chicken Vesuvio and, well, you know, these complex Italian meals. She's like, bar. a protein bar. This is easy. Oh, she's like, Jim, it's so easy. So we got our first co-packer that ended in an ugly divorce. Oh, no. We went through five co-packers in four years. Oh, wow. Yeah, first four years, five co-packers. Everyone ended poorly because we we didn't like um, the product. Uh, there were mistakes made in the manufacturing or... Maybe, you know, if they're buying your ingredients, maybe they're buying the cheapest ingredients they can find. Maybe they're using labor that's not the brightest. You know, there's not the love that goes through the way we make our bars, right? And so um, after the last one ended, which was bad, um, Nettie, you know, pushed me and she's like, we're making our own shit. Like, we're making our own stuff. We're not going to use co-packers. I can do this. Filippo can do this. I've been a chef for 30 years. It's not that hard. Like, let's just do this. And so we did it. And so we got a space in Elko Village and we started uh, manufacturing. So we did the opposite. Most people, most companies, you know, who self-manufacture will self-manufacture until they get too big. Um, for us, we did the opposite, which is we started getting bigger and we're having so many problems on the manufacturing side. We thought if we don't own our supply chain, meaning buy our own ingredients, if we don't own the manufacturing, meaning make our own, what do we have? What do you have? You're like, you're so dependent. You know, it's one thing with the retailers that we all know it's some are amazing to work with. Some are very difficult to work with. So sure. that's a challenge. But if I'm going to have a challenge with just my own product that I'm writing checks for, you don't have anything. So I would, I would say that I, I tell food entrepreneurs all the time, as soon as you know that you have some, if you're really going to do it, in your uh, whatever, you know, as long as it's a relatively easy product to make like bars or whatever, ice cream's easy to make. If it's not a complex uh, protein puff or something like that that needs half a million dollar equipment, make it yourself. The other side is a lot of entrepreneurs spend so much time making it that they don't have time selling it. Ah, uh, they get stuck in the manufacturing they side. Stuck and they're like, uh, like, uh, uh, when we decided to use a co-packer, you know, we were just, Nettie was hand-making them and, you know, at, at the restaurant and they were just sell, selling them to friends. Like, oh, wow. Okay. Sale, like our first sale was with one of our best friends. 
and um, Sunday we were supposed to make bars and uh, this is when I still had another job and I went out the night before and drank too much wine and so I showed up at a, the restaurant a little bit late and I was tired and I was hungover and it took me like I mean the equipment we had was so ridiculous it took me it, it looked like like a you know thing you put like um, ice cubes in okay you put yeah bar push it down and I, it took uh, 10 minutes into it I was hot I was sweating I was hungover and I'm like we're getting a coat packer. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Like it's yeah. my Sunday. I don't want, I want to be, you know, I want to be out going for a jog on the lake. I don't want to do this, but doing that for, you know, four years with co-packers and having bad divorces every time we decided we got to run it ourselves. And it's the best thing. It was the best, probably best decision we ever made. That's really cool. I mean, I just, you just don't hear it a lot today. And I don't know if that's because it's easier to go the co-packing route, even if it's a mess. Uh, but you know what I mean? I just don't hear it a lot. It's so that's really cool. How many people you know, have problems with their coat packers? A lot. I have not heard one that has not. So fair enough. You know, in Nettie's co-packing business, um, she runs bars for other companies too. Everyone comes to her and says, oh my God, I hate my co-packer. I hate my co-packer. I hate my oh, co-packer. I didn't know that. So where we yeah. visited you, that Net- oh, so yeah. Nettie, like if I, if I want to start a bar tomorrow, she could actually make it. You should sugar shame bars. Yeah. I was going to say, maybe the, the official bar of this podcast, it's just, just through the podcast. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. No, she, they manufacture for other bar brands. And so like, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Of having the co-packer and making it a separate company was, I said, let's be the good guy co-packer. Like let's be. Oh, so you treat that as a different business entirely. Yeah. yeah. Cause I see on the emails, obviously the, the Nettie's kitchen. Okay. Got it. So, oh, that's really cool. So it's, they're actually separate LLCs, but they're, they're, that's... they're separate corporations in which I said, let's be the good guys. You know, the market needs a good guy. And so she says, no, the market needs a good girl. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I like that. A good gal co-packer. Yeah. So we do that and, um, and that's worked out well, but we're always so jammed with Jimmy Bar orders that, you know, it's, it's hard to get any line time. It's, but you know, it's cool though. I mean, that's just, that seems like the entrepreneur in you. Um, what a good way to like leverage depending on if, you know, cause what if Jimmy had a bad streak, but you have a bunch of business coming in that way. I mean, it could be some leverage to just, you know, you have multiple opportunities there. Look, when COVID hit March, 2020, right? Yeah. So I know it's hard to remember. It was, you know, horrible for, for, uh, pretty much every food company other than you know, wine and booze and, you know, junk food. It was not right. good for healthy brands. And so um, uh, we had, a, you know, some downtime in April. And so, I mean, this is another entrepreneur. <laughs> so my, my brother-in-law makes the best freaking pizza on the planet. It's deep, thick, deep dish, you know. Uh, um, and he's got a pizza oven that he actually keeps at the co-packer. Like it's just a two thing pizza. Oh, wait, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And so he's like, I'm going to make some pizza. So he starts making pizza and it's like the best stuff you've ever had in your life. And I'm like, Flippo, we need to, this is a business here. Let's, let's do a side hustle. We'll make pizzas until the, you know, the, the world comes back to normal. So we, uh, we got the LLC uh, or the uh, URL, FlippoChicagoPizza.com. And so Nettie's you now making pizzas during the day. And when we have bars to run, we're running bars and she's out delivering pizza to all our friends. It was hysterical. Wait, that's amazing. Is he still doing it? Oh yeah. They're amazing. And he still sells them online. Like I could order one yeah. today. I, I think they still have their website, but he's too busy now. So, okay. I was going to say, I, me and my wife were just saying, we want to try a new pizza place. Like I was like, I'm going to hit him up. <laughs> well, I'll give you, you know, they make them uh, half baked. So they, uh, they make them and then they freeze them. 
and then you put it in your oven for a half an hour. But I oh. like I'm in Arizona. I just I just had one last week. It's wow. So yeah. I, I I always tell people. Illuminati's was one of the reasons my wife hooked me into coming to Chicago. I feel like I had a deep dish Illuminati's for the first time when we were visiting her family. And I was yeah. like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta move here. <laughs> hey, it's a good reason. Um, the other question I, I really wanted to ask, you hit on it earlier was around pushing people to raise money just because this used to be a fine, more of a finance focused podcast. So I always love hearing this perspective, the, raising money versus bootstrapping dilemma would, would love to know your perspective. And when you said you really think people should, you know, try to raise money early on, would love to know, know kind of the why behind uh, your belief there. Well, so if you do the route I did, and, and again, this was the fifth company I've, or sixth company I've started to run. I'm like, Oh, I can, I think I can get this thing up and running. I didn't know what I didn't know, but you know, you're constantly writing checks and writing checks and you're not paying yourself and it starts to erode your self-confidence a little bit when the, when the checkbook goes down and you're paying all your employees, but you're not paying yourself. That's not, that's not fun. you got to pay yourself and you have to bring investment. So the first, I didn't, I don't think I took investment money to like year three or four, whatever it was. Okay. Um, and it was a hundred grand. It was really small. It was three of my really close friends. And, and, uh, and then we did, you know, other rounds, but we haven't raised much, but I should have gone out and raised 5 million bucks because there was money out there for it because there's massive wins in the natural space, like Skinny Pot being the, the first like monster, monster um, acquisition in Chicago. There was plenty of money out there. Um, yeah. If you don't raise money, it sucks the life out of the fun you're going to have as an entrepreneur. And when you raise money, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard and you're going to give away a, a, a good chunk of your company. And I would say definitely get an advisor or, or ask other entrepreneurial friends because uh, not all companies that invest in companies are, are uh, the most up and up, right? Right. Um, but if you don't raise the money and you're just living hand to mouth and you're worried about cash or you can't pay your mortgage or whatever, it's, that's not fun. It's not fun at all. Um, so, well, you know, I, I, was, I had a conversation yesterday with a, a guy who owns a bar company who's a friend and I'm like, go raise money. You got go raise 5 million bucks. Talk to everybody. And if people in, like in Chicago, if, if the investment community just doesn't, you know, it's sales. If they don't right. like, sure. like it, try the West Coast, try New York City. There's money out there for a good idea, but you must raise money, especially in consumer packaged goods. In your industry, you can probably get by with not raising money because you're a service industry, yeah. um, which is nice, you know, because you don't have to go out and buy $300,000 pieces of machinery. That's really nice. Um, but in our industry, it's uh, capital, you know, Growing a CPG brand is a capital pig. I mean, it just, the more successful you get, the less cash you have. Yeah, you know? that's a good, I mean, that is a fact. My wife is like, you know, again, I got married very late in life. She's like, I thought you, I thought you were successful. Like, <laughs> why, why are we living in a shitty apartment? I thought you were successful. I'm like, I used to be. I'm not anymore. I'm a loser. You know, it's, a, it's no. Just, yeah, no, I'm kidding. But, you know. I get it though. It's just, you, yeah, it's, it's, it sucks your cash especially if you're self-funding, you know, cause every month you have less money and guess what? If you get a big order from you know, Walmart for a million dollars, you're going to have to manufacture that. If you're using a co-packer, you're going to have to place the order 120 days before or 90 days before they're going to buy the ingredients. You're going to have to pay for those ingredients ahead of time. Um, you're going to have to pay for the line time ahead of time, most likely. So let's say on a million bucks, your profit is I'm making this up 300 grand. Yeah, you, know, you got to shell out seven hundred thousand bucks and do your packaging. Um, and you got to do that 
with usually payment terms. So you're not getting paid from Walmart for God knows how long. You ship it January 1st, you're going to get paid Feb 1st, right? But yeah. you had to make that stuff 90 days before. So you got to shell out cash in September, or October, maybe before you're going to have to have 700 grand. Where's it going to come from? That's a great, great point. And, and so from your perspective and, and you, what you've been through, what's like for a C, someone starting a CPG, let's just use bars because we both know bars well. What would you suggest is like, you know, obviously the valuation is going to be different for everybody, but how much equity is like an okay amount for someone to give up? Like what, what, what in your mind is like reasonable versus like egregious? I would raise two years of what you think you're going to need. Uh, so let's just say, and everybody, you know, everybody has um, their performer they put together, their plan. Your plan's going to change 800 times. I don't, you know, I don't think I've ever made my sales, <laughs> my sales projection. You know, I, I actually, this year we're going to crush it. But, you know, it changes. You know, yeah. it's, there's an old saying Mike Tyson used to say, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yes. You know, so everyone has their plan about like, oh, my, you know, my jerky company is going to do 3 million in sales because I'm, it may or may not happen. It probably won't happen. So you better plan for that. You might, you better make sure you have money. I would say, you know, if you think you're going to do a million in sales, raise a couple million bucks. If you think you did five, raise 10. Um, so you have two years. I, it, that's advice I've never taken, by the way. Oh, okay. Um, Got it. Yeah. Because uh, things happen, you know? And you're not, you know, maybe Costco, you know, you're going to get no's 99% of the time. Maybe Costco is going to say no. Maybe you're going to have to shift gears and say, I want to go into C stores because I can't get in the club or maybe grocery isn't happening for you. So you right. shift to Amazon. <clears throat> Got it. Okay. Great advice for anyone listening who is, is trying to go down that road. Um, I know we're getting to the top of the hour. So I wanted to ask, there's three questions I ask every founder on here. So I'm, I'm I'm pumped to ask you these questions. So I'm sure you're going to have some good answers. The first one is, so obviously being an entrepreneur, you are running around with your head cut off. I know you've got a million different things you're working on. What do you use from a, like a tools perspective to organize your goals, your tasks? Like, how do you know what you're working on and getting accomplished every week? Are you a pen and paper kind of guy? Do you use apps? What is kind of your secret sauce? Definitely pen and paper. Um, I, I'm, I'm not as good as I used to be as far as, um, you know, five things I want to, you know, achieve this week because it changes. Although that's really good to do. What I do is, you know, here, I'm old school. So composition book. I just Love it. Oh, yeah. And I write my notes. It's really good to write shit down. Because if your life is spent behind a computer and your 4,000 different Excel spreadsheet, you get lost. You can't touch it. There's something about touching, you know, a piece of paper and writing it down for me anyway, that just works. My wife's the same way. You know, she puts together her list. You know, I, I've got a whiteboard right here, you know, and I've got all the big retailers that I want to contact. I look at it every freaking day, every moment, like probably 20 times a day. Who are the accounts I want? Have I talked to them? Am I doing everything I can to get in front of those guys to pick? Oh, I love that. This, it's kind of like the, have you, I mean, I don't know how much you follow football. Uh, did you, do you follow football at all? A little, not really. Good. Okay. Well, I, the reason I say it is um, Odell Beckham Jr., who's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Like he finally made it onto the Rams and won the Super Bowl. And that, that's one of those guys that, like, you know, he thought he'd win eventually. But it was cool because he posted a picture after the Super Bowl that he wrote the day he got traded to LA. It was like, you're going to basically like you're going to be a Super Bowl champ this year on his mirror. So, like, every day when he got up, it's what he saw. It reminded me of that. 
Well, it's, you know, it's like we talked about like half an hour ago. It's a competitiveness. It's a fire that, you know, you have or you don't have. It's, um, it's also a brain type. You know, yeah. there's supposedly 16 different brain types. You can figure out which one you are. If you can go online, there's some, there's some funny quizzes. But, you know, are, are you competitive or are you a work to live guy or are you a live to work guy? So, like, you know, do you really just want to be out hiking or walking your dog? There's, that's totally cool. Um, but, you know, you're probably not going to, if you're, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, it's probably not the greatest fit. Hiking is great. And actually, I've picked my two favorite things to do. You know, those are great to do. But your ass has to be in a seat and you yeah. gotta be working. Got it. That makes sense. I love that. And I'm a pen and paper guy too, just so you know. That's it's funny. I would say again, ninety, I don't know, five, ninety-eight percent of entrepreneurs I've had on here all say pen and paper. So funny, that's a that's a very you know similar why? one. It's like how many uh, I mean, how many tabs can you have? Well, it's funny because how many apps are there now that try to like solve that problem and, and everyone's like, nah, no. I it's funny because like a lot of those apps are really popular, but I don't know who uses them. Not people who are starting businesses. So here's another suggestion for entrepreneurs: pick up the effing phone and call your customers or call your prospects. You know, it's one thing that everyone forgets. Like my first job out of college, I worked for a paper company in Chicago, and um, uh, it was cold calling. Just call, it. hey, well, you know, you're selling printing paper to commercial lithographers. Right, the second business in the world. So it's all about. Do it, do it, do it. And um, I used to, this is like before cell phones, like you have the old phone and I used to tape the phone to my hand so that I wouldn't leave. Cause that's hilarious. <laughs> like, uh, hi, I'm Jim from black, you know, 99.9% of people would be like, go away, dude. You know, <laughs> it's a numbers game and people in our industry forget because you have so many different layers. You've got brokers, you've got master brokers, you've got distributors but you still have that buyer with the retailer. That's the decision maker. And it's something I stress with my, my salespeople constantly, call the decision maker, pick up the phone, dial the numbers and call them. And you might get them. Like I got, I got the buyer from a major grocery chain yesterday at like five o'clock. I called um, and I got her, you know, cause no one calls wow. anymore. Yeah. That's a good point. People, everyone wants to LinkedIn message, Instagram message, whatever it is. Uh, no one's, that's true. I do not get as many phone calls as I used to. I even a couple of years ago, Never. I'd say. Cause there's so many different ways to connect texting or whatever, but I right. always tell my wife, pick up the effing phone. Cause she's a sales rep. Um, and, um, yeah, she doesn't do it as much as I'd like her to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but she's, you know, well, I'll email them. No, call them, call them, call them, call them, call them. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. Um, the very last question, the most important question is how can people learn more about Jimmy Bar? How can people follow, follow Jimmy, whether it's social media, whatever we want to plug? And then how can people follow and get a hold of you? First of all, if you haven't bought Jimmy Bars, go to Amazon or jimmybars.com and buy. And buy a lot. It's worth spending probably your college fund. <laughs> i'll agree thousands and thousands of dollars go to jimmy bar um we'll jimmy we'll put it we'll put a nice discount code on there uh, to link to amazon or the website after this too it's worth losing all your money for sure <laughs> they're, they're delicious i will agree yeah here's an idea just pick up the effing phone and call me um i love helping entrepreneurs um and you're right it's a lonely game and um and sometimes um you've probably been there i've been there every entrepreneur is like you're just trying for, you just need help, man. You're like, someone just give me some advice. Right. Um, you know, just to help. And I, 
I wish there was a tighter community. I mean, I would say CPGs, you know, pretty cool people in general. And I think entrepreneurs um, are very cool people. You rarely, rarely meet like a total jerk who's an entrepreneur. They're out there, but usually they're pretty cool, soulful people. Um, they have balls and, um, and their head's usually in the right place. So, you know, call an entrepreneur or show you respect and ask for help. And um, they're very apt to help you. Love that. Love that. Very good. And we'll, we'll add links to everything in the show notes for everyone to find. Jim, thank you for taking the time today. This was so much fun. It was great to get Sugar to know Shane, you a little better. Sugar Shane bars coming to your neighborhood store. I love it. I love it. They might have to make this happen just for fun now. Now that this is out, out in the world, now we might, might have to make it happen. That's you called Nettie. There we go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, Jim, thank you again so much and uh, best of luck. Obviously, we'll, uh, we'll get a lot of people trying Jimmy bars. Thanks, brother. Have awesome. We'll have a good one and uh, I will talk to you very soon. Bye-bye.